Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Would you agree with me? Yeah, more people celebrate the birth of this one person, Jesus, than any other person in history. Which to me is interesting because really, you know what, as a culture, we make a big deal out of birthdays, don't we? We really do. We make a big deal out of birthdays. And, and that, that big deal even carries over to some of the holidays we have here um, in our, in our um, uh, country. Like we have President's Day, which used to be George Washington's birthday, right? But then they took all the presidents and just lump them all together so we only have one day. Because if I remember right now, maybe this is old school because I'm, I'm kind of old at times, um, didn't they used to have Abraham Lincoln's day, like birthday, and where you got that off at school too? You got Washington, and now they just lump them all together, which is kind of lame because, you know, Abraham Lincoln gets kind of pushed to the side. Um, but all the presents, we celebrate that. We have, um, you know, a special day, of, celebrate the birthday of, of, of Martin Luther King. Um, and so all of these birthdays are celebrated, but nothing, nothing is like Christmas. Christmas stands alone. So then why do we celebrate Christmas so differently than all these other holidays? Why is this story of a baby born in the Middle East, celebrated by billions of people, the way um, that, you know, a thousand years later after he's been born? Well, think about this, too. Consider this especially when, when we look at it, and two of his gospel or, or biography accounts don't include the details of his birth. There's only two that do, right? And they just cover some of the vague nuances. And, and really, actually, you know, beyond that, we don't really know that much about Jesus' birth. We just have like little snippets, a little, little window, and, and the thing is, is that most of the things that we think about or the things we know about the birth, they're actually things that we've assumed in some ways, or we've kind of read into the story, or there's conjecture into, the, into, the, into those things. Like, for an example, there being animals in the birth. Now, nowhere in the Bible, if you were to look it up, Matthew or Luke, is there animals in the Christmas story? Yet yeah, we sing about animals right? We sing about the animals being there, but they're not, they're not found in the Bible anywhere. But we kind of assume that they must be there, right? Or the fact that, you know what, there was three wise men. When the Bible doesn't say anything about the number of wise men, right? In fact, if you look at any nativity set, you always see three. I never see less than three, and I never see more than three, right? Is that true? Every time you see it, so kind of the nativity set, I'm not saying is lying, but it is kind of one of those things where, you know what, it, it's kind of pulling our leg a little bit. Because I think there was more than three, even though we go based off of, you know, the frankincense and myrrh and, 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 what we, and the gold. But, but see, the thing is, is sometimes we get this idea that, you know what, um, this must be it. But see, there's so much more 
to the story. Another thing about this too I was thinking about. Um, Jesus, Jesus never said, hey guys, you know, I'm really big into birthdays and so I want you to celebrate my birthday, right? You can't find that in scripture, can you? Nowhere does he say it. Not even his disciples say it. Nowhere in it does, it does it say in the Bible, hey, mark this day, let's have a celebration, let's have a holiday, let's do it. Now, I'm not, you know, trying to make light of Christmas or anything like that, but I'm just saying if we look at some of the things that we assume in Scripture that we kind of base some things off of, that you can't find them really in Scripture at all. Jesus never said, hey, I'm really into birthdays, and so make sure that you celebrate mine. So let's kind of unpack a little bit some more in the midst of our, you know, kind of this anticipation, anticipation, this, this, this hope, this learning that we're learning about and remembering that Christ is coming because we, we lit the peace candle in our Advent, um, in our Advent thing. And so what we want to do is step outside of the story for just a little bit. Because what I want to do is look at uh, the historical setting of Jesus' birth. Because sometimes, you know, I think there's a, there's a greater um, understanding that we need to have. At what, what happened before Jesus enters the scene? What, what was going on in, in the culture? What was happening before, you know, Jesus even is born? And so we want to kind of look at this and see what, what was going on at the moment. But the first thing for us to recognize in that stepping out is the fact that, you know what? Jesus was born into a tribe, okay? He was born into a tribe that believed that they were chosen by the one true God. They were, believed that they were chosen to represent God and show the world to God. But this particular tribe that believed that about themselves, they were conquered over and over and over again. They were conquered by the Egyptians. They were conquered by the Babylonians. They were conquered by the Assyrians. It just superpower after superpower took turns beating on this tribe. And here this tribe thought, man, no, we are destined. God, God has called us, right? And we, we recognize that. We see it throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, just the, the tribe of Israel. It was like, yes, we are destined. But over and over again, they put themselves in a position where they were defeated. They were conquered. And when these superpowers and when these, these nations came, they invaded their land. They taxed them heavily. They hauled them away to some foreign countries. And they made their lives miserable. So we're kind of like tying a thread here, right? To get us to the point of where Jesus gets born. But, but, but they made their lives miserable over and over again until the moment in which we meet Mary and her fiancé, Joseph. Now, fast forward to that, that time. And at that time, the Roman Empire was occupying Jerusalem. And I think it's important for us to understand, like for the context's sake, that the Romans were ruled by a series of emperors, and they were called Caesars. Now, here's the thing about Caesars. Caesars truly believed that they were the sons of God. 
that they were put on this earth, they were put on this earth, sent from heaven, in order to bring the universal reign of peace and prosperity upon the land. That was their whole agenda. That was their whole thought. This is who we are. We are something special, right? We say all all that in a bag of chips, they thought. So they, they thought this is what we were supposed to be. This is what they believed they were on the earth for. And in fact, in the Roman Empire, there was this familiar saying, and they would say it this way, there is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved than that of Caesar. That's what they believed. That Caesar was the man. That Caesar was, was, was the person who was going to bring liberty, was going to bring peace, was going to bring prosperity to them. That's what the Romans did, thought. So they were, they were saying this all before Jesus ever came on the scene, right? And not only that, they called Caesar Augustus the Prince of Peace. Now, have we heard those phrases before? We have, through in Scripture. It talks about Jesus, what? Being Lord. It talks about Jesus being the Son of God. It talks about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. Yet here you have Caesar and, 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 and the Romans saying, no, Our Caesars, our Caesars are the sons of God. Our Caesars are the prince of peace. So when when they were saying that, they were far from the truth. They weren't telling the truth at all. But this is kind of like what the, the, the world was and how it was functioning when Jesus was born. And Caesar Augustus was called the prince of peace Because according to him, that's what he came to do. That's what he came to deliver. So the Romans would march all over the known world. They would conquer village after village. They would demand that people would literally call Caesar Lord. And they enforced it. They made you say it. They made them say it. Then what they did in order to pay for their military, they would tax the people. Is this sounding like peace? No, not really. It's not sounding like peace at all. But they, in order to pay for their military expansion, they would, they would do the taxation and they would extract the taxes so that, and when they, when they conquered people, so that they could build a bigger army and then they would go and conquer more people and then they would build a bigger army and then they would go and just nonstop over and over again. All of this in the name of spreading peace and prosperity. But the problem was, it was for their peace and their prosperity. Now, I I said that just to kind of encapsulate a little bit of what we find here in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, to give you a little bit of background. Because this is how it reads in in, in Jesus' birth in the story. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, this was not just to get census data, okay? But it was because they wanted to tax them so the empire could expand. 
So here we find Joseph and Mary having to go, having to go and pay their taxes. And with all, with the underlining theme and the census to say, you know what? We're going to tax more people so we can expand, we can dominate, we can make sure that, you know what? Rome is bringing peace. So people had to live under this submission. Right? The time that Mary was alive, the time that Joseph was alive, the time that Jesus was born, people were living under this submission, submissive rule of, of, of Rome. And there was no peace at the time. There was no peace for them. So again, here's the scene. The Rome comes in. They roll into town, demand that you recognize Caesar is Lord. And if you did then guess what? You are a friend of the empire. Kind of like Star Wars, right? Lord Vader would come in. If you gave Lord Vader, hey, yep, you're a friend of the empire. Got any Star Wars fans out there? Kind of, maybe a little bit? All right, okay. Didn't want it to land and go, what? Okay. But here's the deal. If you didn't, they had this device. They would hang you on. It was called a cross. And they would do that in order to make an example of you, of what it looks like if you do not hail Caesar or you submit to his lordship. They wanted to make an example out of you. Now, this is how the Romans made peace. This is how they created peace in the world, according to them. They did it by pure dominance. We will dominate you. We are going to crush you. And if you don't follow, then there's a price to pay. Because you know what? If you don't follow, then you will rest in peace. Get it? Die? Yeah. Anyways. Okay. So here we have this young girl that, that we mean. Her name is Mary, who lives in a... Uh, secure corner of this, I would say, oppressive empire. And she's oppressed, or yeah, she's oppressed, and her people are oppressed. And in that that context, I mean, I can kind of imagine maybe that they're feeling frustration. They've heard that at some point, God was going to send their deliverer. God was going to send a, a Messiah. They, God was going to do this. But all they've seen is the fact from generation to generation, they had been oppressed. They had found themselves caught or, or, or trapped or, or taken over by other nations. And so I imagine that they were tired of being stepped on. They were by, tired of being, you know, like kicked around. And probably a little bit tired of the God that they worshiped allowing these nations that don't even acknowledge God to come in and have dominance over them. And so probably for them, they probably thought, how long, how long are we going to live like this? How long until we can sing a new song? Not a song of oppression, but a song of liberation. 
a song of rescue, a song of redemption. Man, that is what they were longing for. And I think sometimes even in our life, we could probably think the same thing. How long do I have to keep living in my situations that are happening in my life? How long do I have to keep doing that? Lord, when is there going to be breakthrough? When is there going to be situations in my life where all of a sudden, man, I'm starting to experience this, this, this grace and even this peace that you've promised? And so here they are, they're longing for this. And then we read in Luke chapter 1, where the angel shows up to a teenage girl. And guess what? He delivers some wonderful news. Luke chapter 1, verse 28 says, And having come in, the angel said to her, this is to Mary, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and consider what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. He will be called the Son of God, oh, the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Jesus, I mean, then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Now, think about in the context of how when this is happening, right? Rome had invaded. They're living in oppression. And then Mary hears these words as though they are almost kind of this revolutionary expression or this revolutionary thing that, that says, hey, you know what? His name will be called Jesus. I mean, that's revolutionary because his name, Jehovah, Jesus means Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. And in Hebrew, that means volumes to a, to a, to a, a Hebrew person. It should mean volumes to us too. Jehovah saves. So when he makes this statement, like I said, it's kind of revolutionary. It's just this amazing statement. And when he makes this statement, all of a sudden it started, I, I believe, that it started probably triggering some things in Mary. Because you know what? I, 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 we, we a lot of times just kind of give Mary like just kind of no credit at all for her, her faith in, in God. Because we, we kind of picture Mary as this young teenage girl, just so innocent and sweet, just, you know, and she probably was. But at the same time, if you were to look at Mary's song after the angel talked to her, what Mary lays out in that song means that she had a relationship with God. She knew God. She knew the promises of God. She knew how God was going to lay this thing out in a sense of how wonderful he is. But see, we've we got to get beyond the fact that, oh, Mary was just this sweet little like teenage girl and just 14 and just or 13. I don't even know how old she was. But man, 
Mary had some depth to her. She, she, she had been, you know, reading the Old Testament things. She's been taught those things. And so he, he, here she is when the, when, that, when, when the angel says his name shall be Jesus. I, I think in some ways, man, that stirred in her the fact that, you know what? At one point, God delivered the people of Israel, right? You remember the, uh, um, when they were um, held captive by the Egyptians? God raises up Moses and Moses leads them out, you know, and then, you know, he said, hey, you know, Pharaoh, let my people go. Remember that uh, kids ministry song? Hey, Pharaoh, let my people go, you know, hey, 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 whatever, right? So he, he, tells, he tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go, and they, what, leave. So I think inside of Mary, it kind of brings this anticipation, this kind of like, whoa, wait a minute here. What is he saying? Jesus, he who is the, is the um, Savior, the one who saves, Jehovah who saves. All right, God, are you going to do it again? Are you going to do it again? And I think God's proving by naming him that. Yes, I'm going to do it again. I'm about to do what I have done before. I am going to deliver my people. I am going to pull them out of the miry clay and put their feet upon a rock. And the child shall be a deliverer. And not only that, Isaiah, right, gives this pr prophetic description of Christ's character. And he, he says this 700 years before his birth is about to be true, that he will bring peace, that he will bring peace. And, and, and I, what I love about it too is the fact that it's not going to look like what they think it's going to look like. Because they had in their head, when the Messiah comes, when the, the deliverer comes, when the Savior comes, then you know what? He's going to take care of the Roman Empire. He's going to squash them. He's going to demolish them. And then this is what we're looking for. And it's going to happen. And we are excited about that. But the thing is, is that when it, it, the scripture, which we'll read in a minute, he, he shows up and he's all of what is described. But it doesn't look like what they thought. And how often in our own lives does it not look like what we thought it should look like when it, when it comes to certain situations or circumstances in our life when we're following Christ? Well, I'm following Christ. I'm doing everything I need to do. I'm, I'm, I'm putting my best foot forward. I'm praying. I'm reading the Bible. Yet we still have situations. We still have unrest sometimes. We still have these things that, that we encounter in our life. And so sometimes it doesn't look like the picture we think it should look like. Well, so-and-so, man, look at their life. It's just beautiful. It's running smoothly. Well, no, you don't know that. I mean, if you basically, too, if you look at only social media, everybody only really kind of posts the good stuff, right? I mean, occasionally you get the bad stuff. But most of the time you look and go, oh my gosh, I wish I had. I wish I was like them. Oh my, look at all of this. Look at this. is awesome. When God's all, no, 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 no. My grace is sufficient for you. I'm right here with you every step of the way. And yeah, it's going to look a little different than what we think. And so Isaiah 9, 6 says this. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. 
and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Then in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, the angel says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Right? So when we look at that, and when they looked at it, they're looking at it and going, okay, man, here we go. The Messiah is coming. He's going to take care of these Romans. He's going to squash them. We're going to get payback. This is going to be awesome. Right? They could have been like, you know, doing a little dancing in the streets maybe or whatever. But it didn't look like the way they thought it would look. Yet, God still says there's peace that is attainable. There's peace that you can still have in your heart in everyday life. And so Jesus' ministry was about peace. In fact, this is what he says before he goes up to heaven. He says this in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. So he's talking to his disciples, but again, you know what? We always take the scripture and realize and recognize he's talking to you as a reader, right? Hey, we've said this over and over. You know what? If you have to, in order to remember it, write in the very front part of your Bible. It's okay to write on your Bible. Write in your Bible say, this is God's word. This is God speaking to me. So every time we open it up, what is said to a disciple is said to you, right? And so he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So the kind of peace that Jesus gives to us is something that no one else can give to us. A bottle can't give it to us. Medication or pills can't give to us. Right? You can't experience it. Only Jesus is the one who's able to give us peace. Only Jesus is, the, is, is able to come alongside of us. And sometimes in those storms, declare peace, be still. But see, that... that relies on our trust, that relies on our faith, that relies on us having this relationship built with him. See, and he says, you know what? It's way better than the peace that, that the world could give. And what kind of peace does the world give, right? It gives a phony peace. Wouldn't you agree? Right? It, it, it's kind of fragile peace. It just doesn't last. It's peace that doesn't last. I mean, they say, oh yeah, if you, if you just, if you, if you are financially well taken care of, right? You, you strive and you work really, really hard to build this, this financial, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you know what? That's not going to give you peace. You are still going to encounter things in your life that is going to be, ah! But see, it's not about the circumstances, it's about who's living inside of you. It's about the one you're leaning on. The one you're trusting in over every circumstance and situation that, that you are facing. And, and if you remember right, we said that the Caesar said that, no, we are the Prince of Peace. But see, they, they got it all wrong. Because there's only one true Prince of Peace, and that is Jesus. 
He is the true Prince of Peace. Now, this word peace, now this is just side info, but this word peace, it, you can, you can catch, catch the word peace over 400 times in the Bible. But here's the deal. You can summarize these, these, the, the, all these peace scriptures into three kind of separate, separate um, categories. So three keys to peace, if you would. And, and, and those three categories are spiritual peace, emotional peace, and relational peace. And so let's look at the first kind of peace that Jesus came to give to us, and that is peace with God. Peace with God. So important. Okay, so this is spiritual peace, and it's the most important because it affects everything else. Wouldn't you agree? It affects everything else. Yeah, I mean, you know when a relationship is out of whack, right? When there is tension, there is a strain in the relationship, what does it do? It robs you of your peace. Anybody's married, right? Kind of knows that. When there's a little bit of strain, a little bit of, of frustration in the relationship, doesn't it cause a little bit of lack of peace? Because you're not functioning together. You're not working together. I mean, even on the job, even in your relationships with people. It, it just, if it's out of whack, and it's the same principle when it comes to our relationship with God. When we're out of, out of whack with God, then you know what? Don't we feel like we don't have peace? We wonder, where is God? Well, maybe it's because you're out of whack with God. You're not, you're not got this relationship squared away. This, this, is, this is what the Bible says, that the first thing Jesus came to do to restore peace between us and God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, God has done it all. Amen. God has done it all. He sent Christ to make peace between himself and us. So why do, why do we need this? Well, because anytime we decide we're going to do things on our own. We decide that, you know, yeah, even though I know what God says in his word and tells me what to do in his word, but I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live my own way. I'm going to do this and do that, and I don't care. This is what I'm doing. Guess what? You are now making yourself the Lord of your life. You're putting your lordship over your life. When all along we are supposed to be under the lordship of Jesus, right? Allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to reveal deeper things of God, to help us to do that. But every single time that we do that, then we get out of whack. We are in rebellion. And we are just like, what? Why? Why? It just puts us in this conflict. When we live According to, to, to the world system, you know, James, James says that, you know what, if you live according to the world system, that you are a, an enemy with God or enmity with God. You're an enemy of God. When you live according to the way the world lives, when you do not put God first, then you know what, you're, 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 you're an enemy. But again, that's what I said. Like, that's why we feel so disconnected sometimes from God. Sometimes I think what we have to do is just do a self-analysis. 
Take a step back and be able to say, God, where am I in this relationship with you? Is there something in my heart? Is there something in my life right now that is causing me to be disconnected? Because if it is, I want to take care of it. And I, and I love the Lord. He's so gracious. And I believe he'll speak to you. It might hurt. You might go, oh, ouch. But it's only because he loves you. Right? He loves you so deeply and so just oh, desperately that he's just like, let me just tell you why you're disconnected. But oftentimes, we don't take the time to do that. And so maybe, maybe, maybe that's something that we, we need to be encouraged with, to say, okay, how, how can I make sure that I'm not disconnected? How can I make sure that he's not a million miles away? Well, maybe it's just coming back to him and saying, okay, is there an area? And if there is, then you correct it right there on the spot. Don't put it off to the side. Don't say, well, I'll get to that later. Say, no, 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 let's, let's take care of it right now because God does not want to be disconnected from you. But sometimes the decisions, sometimes the, the choices we make destroy the peace that we should be walking in because we're not surrendered. We're not given over to what he has to say. In Romans chapter 5, the Bible says this, our faith in Jesus, this is the Passion Translation. Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. And he now declares us flawless in his eyes. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace. So true and lasting peace in our lives, even though we're in the midst and the chaos of this world and all that's going on, we can have true and lasting peace. Because of what Christ did. But he says, now enjoy true and lasting peace with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. So we have peace with God because of what Jesus has done for us. Peace with God doesn't come, this is important, doesn't come from what, what you do. It comes from what Jesus did on the cross right? It, it's not from what you do, right? You know the scripture, um, you know, for, for, for by grace you have been saved, right? It's not of your works. It's not anything that you have done other than you come to him and the gift of God gives you this salvation. But it's not from what you do. You get peace because of what Jesus did for you. And sometimes we just got to be able to, to, to kind of rest in that and say, okay, man, Jesus, I, I'm so grateful that you came. I'm so grateful you went to the cross. I'm so grateful that you rose again. I'm so grateful that you're seated at the right hand of the Father. I am so grateful that you are making intercession for me. And so in all of that, because you love me and care for me, I thank you that I have peace in every situation because my First and foremost, peace comes from my relationship with you. If I've got this peaceful relationship, man, we should be able to just step through every situation, right? And not get burned like the Hebrew, Hebrew boys that were in the fiery furnace. 
We should be able to walk in and go, man, you know what? Yeah, this is all swirling around and there's so much chaos and so much. But I have such a peace about it because my relationship with Jesus is, is, is at peace. I'm a, am, I, am I in this relationship with God? And he just keeps navigating and directing and giving me wisdom and insight into things I need to know. I mean, that, that's, Jesus coming is what all Christmas is all about. But remember, he is the Prince of Peace. Romans 5.10 says, Even when we were God's enemies, he made peace with us. Think about that. I was an enemy of God, yet he made it a point that I could have peace with him, that he would have peace with me because his son died for us. Yet something even greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God, we will be saved by the life of his son. And I know there's a lot of religions that, you know, sometimes talk about a peace offering. You know, you got to offer a peace to God. So then that way, you know, he'll take care of everything and everything's nice. You know, it's all nice, nice, right? If you do that. But you know what? Jesus died. He took care of that. We don't have to offer a sin or a, a peace offering anymore. We don't have to do that anymore because he died and, and, he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he made sure that, you know what, that was all taken care of. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27 says this, but Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sin. So in other words, no peace offering is needed. We just need to accept what Jesus has done for us. We just need to accept the love of God. It's important that we, we understand that. He gave himself to pay for our sins in order to bring peace between him and us. The second kind of peace that Jesus has given us is peace within me. It's the emotional peace. And the Bible has a word for emotional peace, right? That peace that's internal. And it's called the peace of God. Not peace with God, but the peace of God. So when I get peace with God, then I get the peace of God in me. Does that make sense? Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Meaning it's inside of you. And that word, that Hebrew word for peace in the Bible means shalom. Say shalom. shalom. You know, and, and shalom is not just some sort of greeting, but shalom is a blessing. It is you blessing someone, and it literally means flourishing on every level. Think about that. When, when someone says peace to you, that means you're flourishing on every single level. It, it, it's every category in your life being the way God intended them to be. That's shalom. But we live in this world, don't we? And sometimes this world throws it out of whack. Sometimes this world comes at us hard and fast. But you know what? Jesus is our what? Prince of peace. Our Prince of shalom isn't he? And so if he's the prince of shalom, our prince of peace, then you know what? We have 
the ability to flourish on every level. We have the ability to see every category of our life being the way God intended them to be. But see, sometimes we just got to step in faith. We got to believe God. We got to, as we're walking through some of our situations and some of our circumstances, which are going to come, we've got to be able to say, no, you know what? I have the Prince of Shalom. I have the Prince of Peace. Therefore, you know what? I am going to thrive on every level, every situation that I'm encountering because I've got this great peace that's going on inside of me because of what Jesus is doing. But see, we could summarize it this way. So there is a peace for every one of our problems. Whatever the problems we have, God has a corresponding peace. It's important to catch that. Whatever problem you have, whatever situation you're encountering, God has a corresponding peace. Right? For those who have a broken heart, He gives us comforting peace. For those who have a confused heart, He gives us a guiding peace. For those who have a worried heart, he gives us a confident peace. I mean, there are hundreds of kinds of peace that God offers to us through his word. But we just have to apply them. We just got to find them. Where do I find the peace? Where do I find the peace in this situation? Well, look to your word. Get a God's promise book. Whatever you got to do, get on Google and say, what's peace? What, you know, whatever. But find a scripture to say, wait, okay, this is what I'm standing on. This is the peace that he's promised. This is part of, 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 of my living in shalom, right? On every single level. It is exactly the way God intended it to be. So God has a peace for every problem, whether it's physical, financial, whatever it is. God has a peace. Listen, scripture available to you 24-7. There's never a time that God doesn't have something like the antidote <laughs> for you to have peace. You, you got confusion, you got stress, you got all this anxiety, you got all this stuff, then go get, I know this is a bad example, but then go get a scripture pill, right? We, doctors tell us, why you got an upset stomach? You got a fever? Here's some pills. Take some antibiotics. Well, Jesus said, hey, you got trouble in your life. You got stuff and you need peace. Let's go, let's go find a scripture. Let's go, let's go do it. Right? Because scripture is alive. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living. It's breathing. It's, it's, it's powerful. And so if we take scripture and begin to apply it and put it into our hearts and into our minds, then all of a sudden it begins to grow in us. And it begins to give us peace. This is what God said, right? He doesn't want us to worry about anything. In Psalms uh, 55, 22, it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved, right? Righteous. Hey, I'm, I have peace with God. And he says, you know what? If you've got peace with me, You'll have peace within yourself. I will sustain you. I will direct you because you, now what you're doing is you're casting your burden, right? And in that word casting, it, it just, again, I think I've said this before, but it gives me that picture of fishing, which I hate, by the way. 
But it gives me that picture of fishing. Because what we do is we say, okay, Lord, I'll cast my care on you. So picture fishing, right? I'll cast my care on you, but what do we do? We reel it back in. Well, I don't know if God's big enough to, to really take care of that. Ah, you know, I feel the press, the stress, the, the stress and the pressure of it, and we reel it back in. But God's saying, no, I just want you to cast it. Cut the line if you've got to, to get yourself in a place to where you're saying, you know what? No, above all else, man, I'm walking in peace. This is how it says in the, in the Passion Translation. So here's what I've learned through it all. Leave your cares and anxieties, anxieties at the feet of the Lord. And measureless grace will strengthen you. Measureless grace. So the more you understand God's grace towards you, right? His unmerited favor, the more peace, the more shalom, right? That you'll have in your life. It it just works that way. And let me just tell you this. It might just not come right away. Okay, Pastor Scott, well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take the pill, right? You know, or what? That sounds kind of weird. That sounds kind of cultish. Um, But I'm going to take the scripture that you're talking about, Pastor Scott, and I'm going to apply it to my life. Okay, it better work right now. Well, we know it doesn't work right now sometimes. Sometimes it will because he has the ability to change it on on a dime. But sometimes it plays out a little longer than we personally would like it to. But God's so good. And he says, don't worry about it. You just walk in peace. You walk in this shalom because that's what I have for you. I've got this for you. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, do not be anxious or worried about anything. Wow, right there, man, that's hard, huh? (laughs) It says, do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, right? Every circumstance and situation. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific request known to God. And then this is what he promises when we start doing that. And the peace of God, that peace which reassures the heart, that peace which transcends all understanding, that peace which stands guard over your heart, guards your heart, and your minds in Christ Jesus is what? Yours. It's yours. But we gotta, we gotta, we gotta be able to, to grasp that. We need that. And then let me give you the last one. The third kind of peace that Jesus gives us is peace with others. Peace with others. Now, this is relational peace. And re- relational peace is the fact that the further we get away from God, the more it messes up our relationships with everybody else. Think about that. The further we get away from God, It messes up our relationships with everybody else, right? If you really want to strengthen your marriage, get close to God, right? Because if you're drawing close to God and your spouse is drawing close to God, it will pull you together. It won't separate you. It'll pull you together, right? The more you are out of whack with God, the more than you are out of whack with people. And it's kind of, you know what? It's kind of the way God wired us. I mean, have you ever been cranky before? Right? And you're just, no, never? Oh, wow, okay. Chris has, Chris has never been cranky before. But you notice his wife chuckled. 
right? I'm not getting into that one, right? But here's the deal. Our world is not getting more peaceful, right? It's getting more and more conflicted. We see it, you know, all over the place. People are just disconnected, right? So how do we get more unity? I mean, we see like, you know, in the social media, we see, you know, hashtag dot, dot, dot strong. And it only is when something bad happens, right? You know, hey, hashtag Rock Hill strong or hashtag Boston strong or hashtag whatever it is, right? So people put that in the moment saying, yeah, I'm with you. But over time, it fades like a vapor, like a mist, right? It just kind of begins to disintegrate. And it's just kind of back to the dog-eat-dog world. And so how does this, this really, how do we get to this relational unity? Well, I believe this, what the scripture in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16 says. I, I believe the only way we are going to have peace is when we are in, when we are all unified children of God. Otherwise, you're just going to keep fighting conflict, conflict. See, when we get to heaven, we're going to all be unified, unified in relationship, aren't we? Yeah. And this is what it says in Ephesians 2.16. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. So Jesus is the one, right? When we have the Prince of Peace in our life, then we are going to have the peace with, we're going to have peace with each other. And, 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 and this should really shine brightly in the body of Christ. Don't you agree? It should be the thing that sticks out. But really, sometimes, sadly, it isn't. Galatians 3.28 says, In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. Right? Jesus is this great equalizer. The ground is level when you, at the foot of the cross. So we're all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. That's when I believe peace will be, will be at its greatest moment when people come to, to the saving knowledge of Jesus. That's why it's so important. And so because of this, right, this scripture about it, because we're in common relationship together, God sees us as one unified family. So let's follow this instruction. Um, I'm going to wrap it up here. So uh, Adam, if you want to come up. Let's, so we've we got to follow this instruction of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 when it comes to each other. This is what it says. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. The church should be a church that loves each other, that, that, that bears with one another, right? Love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Man, that should be a motto we walk by. Man, I love you. I accept you. I forgive you. Because we're not all perfect. We all got our stuff. 
But he says, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we should be, we should be walking in this unity together, not at each other. We shouldn't be looking at each other and going, well, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. No, we should be, man, you're my brother and sister in Christ. I'm in unity with you. Right? And so as we kind of wrap this up, I'm not sure if you notice, but these three kinds of peace build on each other. They all just, it's kind of, they stack on each other. Therefore, the first thing you have to have is peace with God. And when you have peace with God, then you have peace, uh, the peace of God. And then when you have the, have peace within yourself, you can have peace with others. Right? And, and the thing is, when you got all three things working together, you have this shalom peace, nothing shakes you. See, that's the peace that God wants us to have. Nothing shakes me because I'm walking in this shalom peace. I'm walking in the fullness of what he has. Nothing is going to upset me because I'm walking in this shalom peace that Jesus brings because Jesus is my Prince of Peace. And so to wrap it up, just know that Jesus came for a reason, right? Not only to, to, to cause us to have peace with God, but he came so that we would have peace inside of us eternally. No matter what the circumstances are, I see Jesus. I see Jesus in it. And then you know what? When it comes to relationally as, as, as people, we look at people as though, as, as Jesus looks at them. Jesus loves them. Jesus accepts them. Jesus even forgives them. And that, that's the heartbeat, right? That's the heartbeat of just this, this Christmas season, this, this peace that, you know what? Only Jesus brings. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're struggling with anything in your life today, anything that's going on, turn to the one who is the Prince of Peace. He won't dominate you like the Romans did, but he'll come alongside of you and he'll work with you and, and, and navigate this thing with you. He'll show up in every turn and he'll be there because he's in love with you. That's why John 3.16 is so important. For God so loved the world. He loves you. And he wants to be a part of your life in every area. So lean in. Lean into that peace that, he, that he's giving. Let him truly be the Prince of Peace in your life today. Can you do that? Is that, is that attainable? I think it is. I really think it is. Even in the midst of the chaos, it's obtainable to walk in peace so that nothing shakes us at all because our, our eyes are set and focused on him knowing Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.